Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Lance Meadow, John Schmelk with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter if you want to get in touch with us that way you can. The 2019 NFL Draft is in the books, and Lance Meadows is excited. We're going to lead today with the 2020 NFL Draft. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, it is all presented Never too by, early to start. It is all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Uh, we've talked a lot about the first couple days worth of picks for the Giants. So we're going to work our way backwards here. We're obviously going to spend more time on the bigger guys, but we haven't talked about some of the guys in the bottom of the draft quite as much. So let's start there with the last two picks, Lance, on Sunday. Uh, the Giants' two seventh-round picks. We were off the air on Big Blue Kickoff when those went down. You got George Asafo Aje, and Crit, an offensive tackle out of Kentucky. Paul Dettino finally got his offensive tackle after he was off the air. And then Chris Slayton, we defensive tackle out of Syracuse. Yeah, well, these are certainly depth moves, John. I think they're players that'll come in. They'll have an opportunity to compete. And I don't think roster spots are necessarily guaranteed. But you could argue that you bring in an offensive lineman from Kentucky who went up against Josh Allen in practice on a consistent basis, was tested in practice on a consistent basis, and was tested against some of the elite defensive players in arguably one of the best conferences in college football. Dave Gettleman, I think, echoed some of those sentiments and good value because he was projected to go a little bit higher on their board. And you bring him in and you let him compete. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that philosophy. Volume is good for a team. What I don't understand, I don't want to get off on a tangent here. But here we go. Start well, early. We are going to start early. My pet peeve. <laughs> Welcome to social media land. They gave me a lot to think about this weekend. Uh, they think? The yeah. phone lines as well. So we get so worked up over at the quarterback position when there's too many bodies in the room, right? It's a distraction. You have to crown one guy. And then when it comes to other positions, well, why do you need so many defensive tackles? What do you need so many defensive linemen? It's not distraction so much. It's just there's too many. They're all not going to make the roster. Well, what happened with the Giants some seasons when we talked about the injury bug that hit John? And week five, you walk in with eight defensive tackles. All of a sudden, you lose three in the first three weeks. You can't predict what's going to happen with respect to the injury bug. Heck, or even in training camp, you lose 100%. three, four guys. It happens. What happened to the Eagles secondary last year? How many corners did they lose, John, where Jim Schwartz and that franchise had to pull guys off the street to play late in the season? And kudos to them. They made the playoffs. But now, I don't want to hear, when you look at a roster, you look at a draft, why'd they bring in three corners? Why'd they bring in two defensive tackles? You can't predict the injury bug. So this is a good move from a depth competition standpoint, similar to the Chris Sladen move. Yes, they took Dexter Lawrence. Yes, they have Dalvin Tomlinson. They have B.J. Hill. And R.J. McIntosh, by the way. Another guy who didn't get much of an opportunity last year, but is going to hopefully be fully healthy this year and be able to play. So let those guys compete. Let them battle. And let the best man win. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, and here's how I look at the late rounds, Lance. And Paul Dottino's, we had this debate over the weekend. He thinks differently. But you get to the sixth and seventh round, some teams might not have any players even left on their board. Of course. There are, I think the Patriots had somewhere between 100 and 150 players on their entire draft board this year. So some teams might be out of players. I don't know how long or deep the Giants draft board actually went to the seventh round. But I know some teams, I know one team, I think, in 125 I saw a report this year. So you can't be fishing for need in the sixth and seventh rounds. If there's a player with a grade that you think he can make it, you pick that player. Because there's no point in picking a guy at a position just because he plays a position, but you don't think he can make it. So you just pick the best guy, and uh, you're right. These are guys that, you, you know, 
maybe practice squad guys. They don't even make your roster, and that's fine. There. But you want to develop them. So that's the Giants' two seventh-round picks. Then you had in round six, Corey Ballantyne. Obviously, folks, we know about the reports that you saw in the stories regarding his involvement in a uh, shooting over the weekend. Uh, the Giants issued their statement. We'll stand by that. Uh, we don't have any extra information on, on how he's doing or the circumstances involving it. So we'll just reference the statement the Giants put out there on the Giants' Twitter feed, and we'll move on from that. But as a player, Lance, he's a small school guy. He's got good size. Uh, he has all the measurables you want. And when you go when you come from a small school and you see the guy played well, you want to make sure his athleticism will be able to match up with guys at bigger schools. And he ran a sub-4-5. He had good size. He, you would think... As he develops against better competition, this might not be a one-year deal. This might be, a, you know, a little bit of a developmental thing here for Kevin coming out of the Division II school in Washburn. He can develop into something that can impact the team. Well, that's the key, and it's interesting because I had an opportunity to speak to Ballantyne before the draft on Sirius, and one of the things he emphasized, John, was taking part in the Senior Bowl was an opportunity for him to prove, to your point, that he could hang with players from bigger programs and to prove to NFL scouts that his athleticism can translate. He said that was sort of a turning point for his own confidence, and I think that's when he started to at least get on the radar of most teams. But the speed is what jumps off the page. He's also a special teamer, John, and I think that's yeah. appealing. Return man and coverage. Correct. Mm -hmm. Coverage is important. He blocked three kicks last season, and he reminds me a lot not the same player in terms of what he brings to the table, John, of Dwayne Harris, who was with the Giants a few years ago, now with the Raiders, because the appeal of Dwayne Harris, and remember, I remember when the Giants signed him, everybody was like, oh, it's too much money. What are they investing in him? You have to understand, a player that can add value to multiple facets of your team, he could be a wide receiver, he could be a return man as a kickoff return man, a punt return man, and he could also, John, play on both coverage units. Ballantyne's that type of player. Mm -hmm. He could play on all four special teams units in addition to playing defense. There's value in that, and his speed is sort of the icing on the cake. So he's a versatile player who can contribute in multiple facets, and I think that was a big part of the appeal to the Giants. Then you have in round number five, Ryan Connolly, kind of a lunch pail, blue-collar, walk-on player that went to Wisconsin. Uh, he'll be a core special teams player, oh, no yeah. doubt about it, and he'll try to work his way into the linebacker rotation. And then Darius Slain from Auburn, 4-3-9-40 at the Combine. He's a speed guy, 6-1. The Giants looking for someone to stretch the field with some deep speed. That's your guy, and that's a role he can fill immediately in year number one as he develops the rest of his game. Yeah, I think he's a good complement to what they already have in the receiving core with the likes of Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard. You look at Sladen's numbers, I just don't think they tell the whole story, well, John. The, the Auburn offense was a mess 100%. It's similar to Jarrett Stidham and how you evaluate him because Correct. you had 2017, which looked fantastic, <laughs> and then 2018, so-so, but the entire offense, really, took a nosedive. So Sladen's numbers didn't jump off the page. Probably his best game was the bowl game where I think he had like three catches for 160 yep. yards and three touchdowns. He just showcased that blazing speed. So when you look at the receiving core and you want to add some versatility, he's at least somebody that's a little bit different, which I think is going to give Tyke Tolbert in this offense somebody else to toy with. All right, round day two. Let's talk about those two guys together. I, Julian Love, is a second-round player. I think he's an excellent all-around cornerback. I bet you... His size, you know, he's, he's under six feet tall. Who cares? That probably pushed him down draft boards a little bit. Didn't run a sub four or five. Who cares? The guy knows how to play football. He can play man. He can play zone. He can play inside. He can play outside. This kid does a little bit of everything. I would expect him to compete for that starting slot spot. 
this year with Grant Haley, the undrafted free agent from Penn State from last year. Then you have O'Shane Zimenez, this guy that we talked a lot about when I went to Mobile to cover the Senior Bowl. I was really excited to see him. I thought his game film was great. That's what the Giants talked about. Uh, outside pass rush moves, inside, good hands, just really dominant at Old Dominion. But you got to see how now, as he jumps up a level, how he plays. Because at the Senior Bowl, he didn't win nearly as much as he won when he was playing at Old Dominion. So that's going to be the trick for him. How can he jump another level? To me, the big thing for him is he has to get a little bit stronger. He's a little bit light in the butt. And that's usually a question when somebody comes from a smaller program. Hey, the Giants have brought in some players from Richmond. Kerry Wynn is a guy that comes to mind. And you always wonder, John, is he going to have his breakout campaign this year? He looked great in the preseason, remember? And you didn't necessarily always see the results in the regular season. And remember, you're going to go back even further. Two small school guys. And I'm not saying he's one of these two guys. Michael Strand was a small school guy. It took him one, yep. two years to get going. OC took a couple years to get going, too, who was a small school guy. Very fair. No, those are all relevant in terms of the Giants taking some chances on players and then panning out, and then you have the opposite end of the spectrum, too. We've seen some mixed results, but the one sure. thing that you alluded to, John, and this is the key, he was an active player at Old Dominion. You're talking about somebody that collected 32.5 sacks, <laughs> 51 tackles for loss. Which, School records in both categories, correct. by the way. I mean, shattered records. He also led the team in each of those categories all four seasons. Yep. So it wasn't as if he had one breakout year where all the stats were piled up and then he disappeared. He was consistently active. And now the Giants are going to hope that a team that had just 30 sacks last season could get somewhat of a boost between him and Lorenzo Carter as they continue to improve and continue to develop their pass rushing skill sets. And one other thing I wanted to add which I think speaks of the importance of the Giants focusing on the defensive side of the ball in this draft, seven defensive players, John, but specifically three at corner. Yes, there was a need to add pass rushers. Would not disagree with anybody that wants to echo those sentiments. But there was also a need for corner. We okay? talked about that yeah. leading up the draft a ton. But I don't think enough people understood no. that message. And here, I want to emphasize they something. Because I, I went back and I looked at the defensive snaps. And I wrote about this in our latest cover three, which is going to come out today. There are just... Two returning corners from last season that you can argue played a decent amount of snaps. Haley and Jenkins, that's it. Tony Lippett, who's the third one, 2%. In fairness, listen, from a statistical standpoint, I'm going to throw it out. Wasn't he only active for one game? I think he was, but he did. He had two defensive snaps. Um, or 2%, excuse me, Yeah, and then, defensive but, snaps. Yeah, and by the way, he didn't look great. In well, <laughs> and I'm not trying to sell right. it to the audience. It's just, uh -huh. that's the sample size, John. That's what's returning to the roster in 2019. I remember he was, all, he was recovering from injury last Correct. year. Too, so. it, it mm -hmm. a, Correct. It was a quick turnaround. And, and even the assistant said the whole point was to get to see whether he gets his legs back under Correct. him to warrant a contract for 2019. But that's it. Mm -hmm. That's the gist of the playing time from 2018. And there are two positions you should always stack players at. Defensive line and cornerback. You cannot have Bingo. enough. So between... The Loves, the Ballantines, and the Bakers of the world, you have three players that bring something a little bit different to the table that are going to go out and compete, and not just compete. If I'm those three players, I'm saying to myself, and you touched on this, John, nobody right now is penned in to line up opposite Janoris Jenkins. Nope. Nobody's lined up or penned in to start at the slot nickel corner. There are opportunities for rookies to come in year one start and play significant snaps. Yeah, based on what you said, I feel like our cover three answers are actually probably pretty similar because I wrote about the cornerback position at that too. Oh, so there you go. Great we're on the same page. Uh, well, let's, let's jump to DeAndre Baker then. I think that makes sense. You're talking about the cornerbacks. He's a player that the Giants consider the best cover corner in the draft. 
We talked about that first pick in the second round being a sweet spot for cornerbacks, and lo and behold, the Giants traded up, and then four of the first, I think, eight or ten picks in the second round were all cornerbacks. So they did go fast and furious. The Giants wanted to make sure they got their guy. And in regards to the trade, by the way, they actually traded fewer points on the trade chart than they had to, if you go by Jimmy Johnson's trade chart specifically, to get that deal done. So I've heard some people said they gave up too much. According to the math, they did not. And to move up seven spots and also then get the player on the fifth year of his contract by getting him in the first round. And cornerback, as you know, you dip at the free agency. You're paying big-time oh, yeah. money for a cornerback. That was huge. And to only give up, A, the worst of their two fourth-round picks, and then one of their back-to-back -back fives. I think the trade made sense if they really thought Baker was a level above the other cornerbacks that were there. Well, I think that's a great point about the fifth-year option. And I'll be honest with you, John, that wasn't something I really thought about until you mentioned it. The value in jumping to get the guy in the first round as opposed to the second round because you have him under your control potentially for an additional year. And your point about corner market value, well, look at Janoris Jenkins' contract, right? He was part of that offseason where they went after Olivier Vernon, Snacks Harrison. It's nice if maybe you could hold on to somebody who can showcase some talent for an additional year. That's why I don't want to get off topic, but the whole debate about the Josh Rosens of the world and all of these other contracts, Jabril Peppers, there is value in the contract aside from the skill set of the player because when you have additional control, it means you don't have to now eat into your cap a year before to pay that player for whatever he's producing. It's production per dollar. Yep. What does the player cost? What are you getting for that amount of money? And now Janoris Jenkins, when his contract expires, they're going to have three guys on rookie contracts. If they can all play and throw Grant Haley in the mix too, then all of a sudden you're set and yep. you're in good shape. And like I said, here's the thing about it, Lance, and, and then we'll get to Lawrence and Jones. If you're going to struggle rushing the quarterback when you, when you don't blitz and winning one-on-one, -on -one, all right, you're going to have trouble. We saw that last year with the Giants, but the trouble was compounded last year because the Giants also couldn't trust to leave their cornerbacks in man-on-man -man and blitz extra people because they thought they'd get beat over the top and they didn't trust the back end to take care of business. Well, now you had three rookie cornerbacks. And look, there's a learning curve at cornerback too, folks. This might not happen right away. But at some point, if you get to the point where you trust these guys to cover and you feel comfortable saying, look, we'll put them on an island. We'll let them cover man on man, which is, by the way, exactly what DeAndre Baker did in school. And Julian Love, by the way, followed the opponent's best receiver at Notre Dame as well. If you trust those guys to do that, then all of a sudden, Betcher can be more creative. And no, you don't want to have to blitz to get pressure. But as the Giants continue to try to improve their pass rush, maybe the younger guys, you know, Lorenzo Carter gets better. Golden has a bounce back. Uh, Zimenez gives you something. You can try to create pass rush with blitzes if you can trust your back end to cover. You can survive if you don't have one. You can't survive if you don't have either one. That was the problem last year. At least you see the secondary here being shored up as the pass rush continues to develop. Well, and on top of that, also you change both safety positions too, John. Let's yeah. not forget about that. Antoine Bethay and Jabril Peppers. So the dynamics of the secondary all around have changed, whether it be corner and safety. And, you know, yes, it goes hand in hand. The more pressure you get, then the easier job on the secondary. If you have great cover guys, it buys the guys on the front seven time to get after the quarterback. In an ideal world, you want a little bit of both. But we've seen there's a number of teams in the NFL, they don't have the ideal balance. For example, the New England Patriots. Oh, I was about to say the exact okay. same thing. <laughs> We're on the same page yep, today. Go ahead. New England was tied with the Giants in the regular season for sacks last season. Yep. Both had 30. But how did New England manage to win the Super Bowl? Well, 
They had excellent cover corners Stephen, on the back end. Stephen Gilmore, Gilmore McCourty, go through the list. So that bought them time so that if they didn't have somebody in addition to Trey Flowers to get after the quarterback, they knew, hey, we're going to trust Gilmore on the back end. They're going to throw the ball up. He's going to make a play on the ball. And they did that on the back end against the Rams. So that's how you make up for perhaps what you're lacking on the front seven. And here we go again with New England. Trey Flowers leaves to go to the Lions. Um, Bill Belichick's probably saying to himself, hey, we're going to put a lot of pressure on the secondary again this year. The Patriots don't pay their defensive no. linemen. They pay their cornerbacks. And the analytics folks over at Pro Football Focus actually believe that cornerbacks, while defensive linemen and pass rush is important, because you look at quarterbacks' stats under pressure as opposed to not being under pressure, you look at it, a 30 to 40 difference in quarterback rating. It makes a difference. But they actually believe, according to some of their advanced analytics, that cornerbacks have a larger impact on winning or losing than pass rushers do because they impact more plays. You know, an offense runs, what, 70 plays a game? Even the best player is going to have, what, eight plays where they affect the quarterback in terms of hurries, pressures, and sacks put together? Yeah, because you're not getting in home game? on everything. Yeah, So, but a cornerback, guess what? He's covering every single drop back. You know what I mean? Yeah, he can't take a play off and say, don't worry, if I don't win, we're going to be fine. Yeah, you, no, you're finished. <laughs> so there you go. All right, now let's get to the final two picks. Uh, Dexter Lawrence, defensive tackle, Lance. He'll join the rotation with Tomlinson and Hill uh, and McIntosh and Slayton now as well, who's on the roster. Big man, and I think the key here is that the Giants believe he's going to be more than a run stuffer. They think with his athleticism, and he has it, by the way, you see him get past pressure on tape. Um, they think he can become a pass rush force up the middle which would really impact the game in both ways. They want him to be a three-down player. They don't think they got a first and second down run stuffer here. And that's the big development yes. there. Because nothing against Snacks, and Snacks is one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. He's one of the best run stoppers. Okay, This is not a negative connotation on him. But they took him off the field on third down. And if you're going to invest a first-round pick in a defensive lineman, you want to be able to say, we're getting a great return on him, John, because we are keeping him Correct. on the field. And the numbers showed up at Clemson, and I think they'll be able to rotate, move the guys around, Tomlinson, Hill, and Lawrence. Well, they said it. They will. Yeah, they said that in the press conference, both Shermer and Gettleman. And this way, you're maximizing... You know, all of those players, in addition to some of the edge rushers that you're going to work in, depending on the fronts, whether it be a 3-4 or a 4-3. So, you know, for people that are saying, well, why do you take a defensive tackle this high? They envision him being a three-down player. And if they envision that, then to me, it's not as if you're renting a player for two downs. Yeah, and look, I think if, if, if you go come back in four years and he has one sack and doesn't pressure the quarterback, I'm, I'm sure the Giants are going to be like, you know what? Maybe we valued him wrong. Because, look, Dave Gettleman said it. He's a three-down player. They wouldn't have drafted a two-down run stuffer at 17. That's not how they... Dave Gunnam has always said it. He wants his players to affect the quarterback, all his defensive linemen. It's that important. So we'll see if it works out. He certainly has the potential to do it. Let's see if he does. And then finally, Daniel Jones. We've talked about this so much, folks. I decided to do him have last. Have we? I don't know. Only I don't because... we talked about this enough. I mean, we've gotten a million phone calls. You show Friday afternoon, our show Friday night, our show Saturday afternoon. They're all up on Giants.com. They're up on your podcast sites. Check them out. Look, here's the bottom line, folks. You know how we talked about Daniel Jones leading up to the draft. We know how the experts considered him and ranked him, graded him, all that stuff. Right now, none of that matters. I'll go back to 2004. I was working over at WFAN taking phone calls on this. I remember it. I was at the draft with Chris Mad Dog Russo when he was screaming about the trade that happened. I was in Radio City Music Hall sitting right next to him as he did it. And Giant fans were furious that they traded so much 
to get Eli Manning, whose numbers at Ole Miss weren't very good, okay? They were really upset. Two ones, a three, and a five. One of those ones turned into, I think, Sean Merriman, if I'm not mistaken. I think the Chargers picked him the following yep. year. Nate Kading was another one, uh, the, the kicker. So, Giant fans were mad. They thought they gave up too much. Do you know how much Giant fans cared in 2012 and 2013 after the Giants had already won two Super Bowls with Eli Manning, how much they gave up for him or where they selected him? They could not care less. And that's what we're going to stand in five years or three or four, however long it takes for us to figure this out. If Daniel Jones turned, turns out, if Daniel Jones turns out to be the franchise quarterback and the caliber of player the Giants believe him to be, no one's going to care where he got picked because you cannot pay too high of a price for a franchise quarterback. You might think he was going to be there at 17. The Giants obviously do not. Dave Gettleman saying that he knows for a fact two other teams would have targeted him before 17. The bottom line is that nobody knows for sure. Nobody can change the space-time continuum, Hypothetically. have the Giants t- select Josh Allen, and know exactly what every other team after that was going to do. What do the Jaguars do? Well, obviously they're not taking Josh Allen. Does their pick then change what the Lions do in terms of TJ Hawkinson? Domino or do they effect. change what, you know, what another team picked who selected Jonah Williams? Whatever they would have done. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So... You can't say, well, you just get him at 17. No, you don't know that. So I'm going to flip the script here. If we, if the Giants didn't pick him at 6, and everyone knows that he got picked out from underneath them by a team at like 11 or 12, whatever, and we're sitting here four or five years from now, and Daniel Jones is a Pro Bowl-level quarterback, we're going to have people calling this show murdering the Giants front office on missing out on their next franchise quarterback because they tried to get greedy and get him at 17. That's what's exactly what's going to happen. So you might disagree with the evaluation on the player, but the strategy was sound. And we'll see what type of player he is when he gets on the football field. That, to me, is where I'm at, and it's that simple. Well, and I'll just echo the... What I said on Friday's show that I did with you, John, I completely understand the argument for Josh Allen and Ed Oliver, and I personally was high on both of those players. But if the rationale in the room shows conviction about the quarterback and this is the guy that they wanted, you don't roll the dice. And the other debate that also is continuing to ensue before we open up the phone lines, and I want to settle this. And we will go to the phones next. Daniel Jones versus Josh Rosen. I don't know how much you got over the weekend on this topic, but this is another one that's continuing to be floated out there. Well, you know, for Rosen, given the fact that the Dolphins barely gave up anything, and I do think it was a great trade for Miami, well, the Giants could have done that. Well, first of all, for Daniel Jones, you didn't give up any assets. You just took him with your allotted pick. With Josh Rosen, you then would have to give up at least, right, your 37th pick. Well, the 37th pick, John, they traded as part of the deal to swap spots with Seattle to get DeAndre Baker. So it's not Daniel Jones versus Josh Rosen. It's what Daniel Jones and DeAndre Baker pan out to be versus Josh Rosen. In addition to, you would have likely had to throw in a 2020 pick which was also part of that Josh Rosen deal. So you're talking about a 2020 pick, DeAndre Baker and Daniel Jones having that versus Josh Rosen. No, it's not so simple at one-to-one. I would probably say the picks that they traded up to move up to get Baker plus the two probably would have been better than what the Steelers gave maybe. Well, no, I'm talking about the Dolphins trade. Right, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Because you mentioned the Steelers-Broncos. Deal. I didn't mean the Steelers, one. I'm yeah. sorry. That was the, the Devin the, Bush. The amount the Dolphins gave up. You know, it's probably Meaning they gave up a 2020 pick because it was a 60th overall pick 
later on in the second round, whereas Correct. the 37th would have not had to warrant another 2020 pick well, being thrown well, in. Or, I mean, you could certainly make that well, argument. Or, 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 for example, if the Giants would have given up what they did to move up to 30. So if the Giants would have offered their, their 37th and then their 4th and their 5th, that certainly would have been better than what the Dolphins had on the table, is my point. Oh, 100%. Correct. I just don't right. think they would have had to have given no, up that much. I agree. But considering what the Cardinals settled for. Your point stands, but you're right. The bottom line, folks, is that Jones is now going to be, he's going to be compared to Sam Darnold. He's going to be compared to Josh Rose. He's going to be compared to even Josh Dwayne Allen Haskins from too. last year and, and Dwayne Haskins, Haskins this year well, and yeah. even Lamar Jackson from last year. Yeah. That's that. That's the, the nature truth. of the beast. Every, everyone here knows that. No one's hiding from it. And how he ends up playing is what's going to matter. And that's going to determine it. That's the beauty of sports, folks. That's why I love sports. In school, I majored in sports. And I minor in history and politics. The reason I decided to go into broadcasting and journalism and sports is because eventually everything is decided on the field. Competition will eventually determine the win or the loss. It's not debate. It's not you know votes. It's not opinion polls. That's why I can't get into college football sometimes because I, I can't deal with ranking teams. All right? Give me a winner. Give me a loser. That's why sports is awesome. And we're going to eventually see the results. We're going to see what players are better. And then we're going to know who was right. And then we're going to know who was wrong. And give us three or four years. And hopefully we'll be able to give you that answer. Patience. Right. 201-939-4513. We got a full line of calls. It's you and us the rest of the way. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Antonio in Manhattan will lead us off. What's up, Antonio? Hey, what's going on, Lance? What's going on, John? How are you? Just wanted to touch base. Um, you know, I, you know, I get you guys are defending those picks or justifying them. I understand. Who's um, no, no, Antonio? Antonio, I'm not it's ju- providing I'm, I'm ex- the rationale. Behind I'm explaining them. why they did what they did. Did you ever? Right. Did, did did you hear me say that X or A in that first round was a great pick? We just explained to you why they did them. Right. No, it, that's justifying the pick, isn't it? No, ju- no, justifying is implying that it's bad and we're trying to spin it to make it sound good. Okay. Okay, so you guys are giving the reason and why. All Correct. Right, so Thank you. That way. That's better. My thing is um, Josh Rosen, I mean, uh, uh, not Rosen, um, Locke at that at that position, um, I think he was overdrafted. I mean, Daniel Jones, I'm sorry. Daniel Jones, I thought he was overdrafted. And honestly, just just because you guys, or, you know, you guys, you guys say this, hey, you guys shouldn't, um, you know, blame the kid or the kid didn't pick him or whatever. That's fine, but that also doesn't mean that I have to root for the guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa Antonio, hold first. on a second. You're a Giants fan. Why would right. you root against the sixth overall pick in the draft? That's stupid. Him. I'm not gonna root against him, but I, I'm, you I'm, just I'm said not gonna he give would. him. I'm not gonna give him the the the. I'm not gonna. They gave him the the keys. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say, nobody. You gotta prove to me something. Yeah, and Antonio, nobody's saying to crown him. Of course, no, nobody not. is saying to crown him. John just mentioned you gotta wait to see what he does on the field. He's going to either quiet the skeptics and live up to expectations, or he's not right. going to fulfill that. But. The bottom line is, Daniel Jones hasn't even put on his jersey yet. He hasn't even tested out his right. helmet, and you want to have a discussion about how he's going to pan out. Can, can we at least see him get on the field? No, and, Antonio, oh, look. Has, you know, Antonio, look, has, look. Antonio, I'm not saying you should have blind faith in the kid. And I'm not, right. saying, I, I'm not saying that, but the first time he throws an incomplete pass to boo him is stupid. 
Absolutely. Right. And that's that, not what I'm saying. Either. That's all but I'm I, saying. What I'm saying is, let's see the guy play. Let's see him play some meaningful games exactly. before we say, man, he's the savior of the franchise. Oh, 100%, 100% correct. 100% true, Antonio. No one's saying otherwise. And anybody crowning right. him as the savior is absolutely ridiculous. The Giants, way ahead of themselves. The Giants think he can be that guy, but he's got to earn it and he's got to prove it. Heck, he's got to beat out Eli Manning first. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, another point. Uh, one other point that I wanted to tell out is the second pick that we had in the 17, Dexter Lawrence. Um, you guys are saying that he was a pass rusher. Um, but no, they, they, think, they think he can develop into a pass rusher. He rushed the passer oh, well okay. as a freshman. He only had six sacks as a freshman. He only had three right. sacks total in his final two years there. So they believe he can be a three-down player. You're correct. His last two years in college, he did not pressure the passer consistently enough. That's true. Right, he he was taken out in the in NASCAR package. Pretty much, they had a NASCAR package over there, and they took him out every time. But right. my thing is, isn't that a little bit too rich to do in the 16th overall pick? I mean, 17th overall pick to pick a guy who we think he's going to develop into a pass rusher. So essentially, he is snacks right now, with the exception that he's really not, because in his scouting report, he he has a tough time with double teams. No, that, and, that, 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 um, that's not true. I think he handled double that's, teams that's just what, fine. That's what, scout, that, that's what it says on NFL.com on his scouting report. I'm, in I'm the run game or the pass game? In the run game or pass game did he have trouble with double teams? In the run game, it says, it says that he was a double team, and sometimes he just shut down. I, that's what it says on NFL.com. You can just check it out. I didn't see that on um, tape when I watched him. And Antonio, uh, did you listen to our interview with him over the weekend? No, no, I didn't, no. Well, he had an injury his second year where he had a fracture uh, of his fifth metatarsal, right? When they did the right. surgery, they basically had an adverse effect when they gave him the anesthesia on his yeah. left leg. He could not do a calf raise, a calf raise for a year and a half. Wow. He could not do a calf wow, raise. Dude. He played with that injury where he could not do a calf raise on his left leg his entire sophomore season there. He played through that and told us he didn't feel like himself till October or November of his final year there. So that might have something to do with his dip in pass rush production as well. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so that's just wanted to maybe, you know, maybe he will put out, maybe, you know, so in my opinion, he's also a kind of a development project at 17. And it's just like, okay, so you got two development projects now in your first round. When the first round, yes, I agree, the quarterback should be kind of a development project. But everybody else that you pick in the first round should be starting right away. Well, but Lawrence is going to have an opportunity to play immediately. Lawrence is going to I mean, I disagree with you. It's one thing to say, well, Antonio, nobody's saying that Lawrence has reached his ceiling at full potential. I wouldn't say that about any first-round pick. Correct. But the bottom line is Lawrence is going to get on the field immediately compared to Daniel Jones. There's a distinct difference between those two. And here's another thing. B.J. Hill was not a first-round pick, so don't misinterpret my comparison. But Hill was another one of those guys that didn't have great sack numbers if you go back to his Mm -hmm. NC State days. And Paul... Part of it was similar to Lawrence. Remember, B.J. Hill was part of a defensive line that was stacked at NC State. You had Bradley Chubb. You had a lot of other guys. But you know what? Little by little this past season, he showed that he can develop into a pass rusher. Not overwhelming numbers, but you know what? Behind Olivier Vernon was B.J. Hill this season in team total sacks. So there is something to be said about that. Sure. One last thing is that, um, you know, I I, I do like, I do think that um, that Gettleman is, a genius when it comes to late in the drafts. Um, I I don't know too much about the guys that he picked up, but I know he picked up a whole bunch of corners. Um, and even if we get, you know, at minimum one to pan out out of this, which I doubt. I just I believe in Gettleman's late draft ability. 
Um, if we get two corners to pan out, out of this, man, uh, I could easily see this team being, you know, at least eight wins this season. If, you know, obviously corners take time to develop, but just look at what the Colts did, man. They they had two secondary guys come out and be all pro. I'm not saying that we're going to have all pro rookies, you know, but even if they're decent, because our secondary last year was scary. I mean, it was just really bad. My, when I have one question for you guys, who is the backup free safety for the Giants right now? Or, or do you guys think one of these corners is going to be a backup free safety? Because right now, let's say, for example, Antoine, Antoine Batian gets hurt. We're in a really bad spot right now, so I just want you guys to hear your answer, and uh, have a good one, guys. Thanks, Antonio. Appreciate the call, bud. Thanks for waiting. You got the roster up there, Lance? Yeah, I'm bringing uh, it up right now. On the, on the old depth chart? Let me see here. Well, when you look at the other safeties on the roster, you have Sean Chandler out of Temple who was an undrafted free agent. He played closer to the line of scrimmage Correct. last year, but he, he's, he, he's a guy that could be in the mix there. And then Michael Thomas, who also played a lot of corner two in the nickel. Yep. And he is an extremely versatile player. I was very fond of Michael Thomas as a special teamer as well. You, know, you can move him around, and I would say right now on the roster, you know, Cameron Moore is another guy that, remember, they added in those waiver wire pickups and right before the, way, the start of the season. Peppers played free safety plenty for the Browns last year, too. So he can rotate back there if he has to. My guess is, if you were to ask me right now, Michael Thomas is the first safety up, in my mind, if somebody gets hurt, John. Yeah, and then I think him and Peppers will, will rotate responsibility based on the play. Yeah, that's how I would look at it on paper. And, and I, I think do, Chandler will have a chance to compete for that, though. I think I, they, agree with I you. think he came on in the last year. Yep. I think they like his coverage ability. I think he's somebody that they believe can play a bigger role this year. And the other thing is, I think they're going to test some corners out at safety during the course of camp. Yeah, they might. I think they will. I think they'll experiment there. 201-939-4513. Back to the phones. Let's go to Rob up in the Bronx. He's up next. Hey, Robbie. Yeah, it's Ralph. How you doing, John? Hey, I'm Ralphie. Really I'm sorry about that. What's Lance, up? How you doing? Doing all right, Ralph. What do you uh, got for us? Uh, all right. Now, well, honestly, um, to be honest, I, I love all the cornerbacks that they picked. I think they all got cover skills and they all got ball skills. I agree. My main question, my main question for them is, will will the linebacker call like Tay Davis? For me, he had, he's a major contributor to this defense. If he can step up, if he can be that linebacker for third down covering the tight end, he has the speed. So that's your coming up. He has he has weapons now that he can use in the scheme that he likes to play. So that's my concern. If the defense can step up, I'm not worried about the offense. Eli's gonna be Eli, the offensive line. Zeitler's gonna be the hugest the biggest pickup of this whole offseason to me. I think he is huge. And he's going to solidify that right side. We could get that right tackle to, to fall in place. And, Michael, like you said, Michael Thomas is another big guy in that locker room helping these young cornerbacks. I, know, I would take your opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree 100%. with you. Uh, Michael Thomas is a great locker room presence. I've never heard anybody complain about having Michael Thomas around. The coaching staff raves about him. You look at his work off the field in the community, and his versatility is appealing. You're talking about somebody that could be a special teamer, play corner, and play safety. He will get votes to be a captain this year. Let me put it that way. I'd be stunned I, if he I, doesn't. I think so, too, yeah. And that's what I was kind of saying. Like, like, his presence in that locker room will have these young corners understanding what it, makes, what it takes to be a pro and to appreciate that where they got drafted. Because he was undrafted, if I'm not mistaken, right? Michael Thomas, he might have been. I, I, I would have to double-check that, he but he, he might have been. Yeah, he was, because I'm he went to the sure. Niners practice squad. But just to show these guys hard, how, how much hard work pays off. If you put in yeah. that work, you know, an undrafted guy being a leader of a defense, being a named the captain, that, that right there is like inspiration. So the guys, if you take it and use it, 
for your advantage, like guys like the kid from the Division Two school, Washburn. You know, I know he had that horrible thing happen to him. God bless that family, you know, and everything else. Exactly. But a guy like that could come in. He has all the skills. He has everything. I've seen him on tape. He is, he is a really, really good cover guy in speed and ball skills. He can, you know, a guy like that can come in and step in and challenge for that slot with Beal, with Glove, with Haley, with all the other guys. That's huge, I think. Yeah, absolutely, Ralph, and, and thanks for the call. They're, overall in the defense, you're right. To me, the question still going into this year is the defense, and that's why the corners make me feel better about it. I don't worry about the rush defense at this point with, with Dexter Lawrence being put back into the mix. You worry about pass rush, Lance, and I still worry about coverage in the middle of the field with the linebackers. Those are the, those are the two things right now where if I had to pinpoint issues where I have some concern heading into this year on the defensive side of the ball, those would be the two issues for me. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I mean, I threw out the sack numbers from last year. They only had 30 sacks. They were near the bottom of the rankings. And, and they lost Vernon. Correct. They're arguably best pass rusher who had seven sacks to lead the team. And then on top of that, you know, defending the tight end, which has been an issue regardless of who the defensive coordinator has been. They hope Peppers can help with that a yes, little bit. Yes, I mean, Peppers certainly has the ability, I think, to help there. But, you know, the linebackers need to chip in in that department too. And that's yep. going to be important. The Alec Ogletrees of the world, Lorenzo Carter has the potential. We saw some flashes of him dropping back in coverage, specifically against the running back for the San Francisco 49ers, if you recall, in that game. You know, they're going to need to make an extra push in that department, I think. And that could make this defense exceed expectations slightly. Freddie in New Jersey is up next. Hey, Freddie, how are you? Good, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling in. Um, I, just have a few, I just have a few comments about the draft picks. Go ahead. Um, Daniel Jones, if they were going to draft the quarterback, if that was my guy, and over Haskins, um, I think Jones can make all the throws. I think he can handle New York. And I think the biggest problem is, as you know, most Giants fans was taking him at six. I'm a big Miami Hurricanes fan, so I watched Jones over the last three years, and I just think he, he'd be a perfect fit for the Giants. Well, you know what, Freddie, all I say is that the front office agrees with you. Uh, they think everything from the neck up is absolutely perfect uh, to handle everything that comes at you in New York, to play the position. And I think a lot with Pat Sherman, we heard him say this last year, where arm strength is on like his fourth or fifth on his list of really important things for a quarterback. And I think Jones checks all those boxes for the head coach in terms of being able to play the quarterback position from the neck up. And I think toughness is another That's a big, one. big appeal. Uh, I recently spoke to Duke's deputy head coach, their offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach. He talked about him playing through injuries, broken clavicle, ankle injury. Two came weeks back for the clavicle, Very right? quickly, correct. Bounced back quickly yeah. from the broken clavicle, taped up the ankle, and played through it. And, you know, when I was hearing those descriptions, John, I, once again, I'm not trying to pile on the Eli Manning comparisons, but when you think of toughness, you think of Eli Manning. Think about the injuries he's played through during the course of his Giants tenure. You're going to tell me that didn't register in the minds of the Giants front office? I think that was an appealing characteristic, and uh, that has nothing yeah, to necessarily I, do I, with the X's and O's. Lance. And also, um, if you watch Jones' tape, he stood in, in the pocket and took some Big, big hit. Oh, yeah. Took it off and just got up. Also, real fast, on Dexter Lawrence, um, I think I think that was a good pick because after the snacks trade, we got killed against the run, and I think he'll come and help out immediately in that. And um, also, uh, Julian Love, I thought he was a steal in the fourth yeah, round. I'm like with you on John that. said earlier, he, he can come in and compete right away. So I, I thought um, the best my, – my the pick for me for the Giants – where they got picked furthest away 
from where I had them evaluated was, was Love. I, I love as a second-round player. They got him two rounds later. That I thought it was great, great value. Yeah, I agree with you now completely on that, John. And also, real fast, one more comment. Um, Baker moving up, how many spots they moved up, fantastic move. Because, like you said, you cannot – like the way they had to run on the corners in that second round, he might not have been there. It so might not have been. I was, I was happy – I was happy with that. And uh, that's all I got, guys. Thanks for Thanks, taking Freddy. my call. I appreciate right. it. Thanks and I want to talk about Lawrence for a second. I want to go back. Our first caller brought it up. He talked about, you know, you're drafting somebody that you're betting on um, maybe, you know, being a bit of a project or making that next step and improving. You're doing that with every player you draft. And you made the point. There's no finished product in this draft. You know, if you're drafting Rashawn Gary, you're, you're counting on him, you know, developing in a certain way as an athlete. Certainly, Ed Oliver is a player where you expect him to develop more as a pass rusher in terms of his technique and stuff heading into the pros. Every player in this draft, you're counting on development. I mean, that's just the way it is. And you draft traits in a lot of ways. And you like to have the traits plus the proven production. You don't always get that, okay? So Dexter Lawrence certainly has the traits and the movement skills. I said to David Deal last Wednesday, I go, Dave, am I crazy for actually liking Dexter Lawrence more than I like Christian Wilkins? I said that to him, and he goes, no, John, you're not, because Dexter Lawrence at 340 will do stuff sometimes where you're just like, wow. And I did get that watching him. While maybe Christian Wilkins is maybe more consistent play-to-play and makes all the plays he's supposed to make, you see 340-pound Dexter Lawrence moving around sometimes, and you're like, boy, a guy that big shouldn't move that way. So that's where you're drafting the traits, and you're betting on the traits to eventually turn into production. It's an inexact science, and I know we it's not a science say at that. all. That's the thing. It's an art. Well, it is an art, yeah. but but also there's a lot of gambling involved Absolutely. in the draft. Nobody is going to tell you that this player is absolutely <coughs> going to pan out, regardless of how much homework you do. You know, I keep turning back to the 2018 draft, and I think that's valid because at least it's recent. I'm not going back in the archives. And Darius Leonard, who I would argue is one of the best draft picks from last year's class, was a second round pick. He's out of South Carolina State. And the Colts traded up to get him, by the yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to tell me you go back to the first round, you redo that draft. Darius Leonard's a top 10 pick if people would have thought that he would have panned out like this in year one. And I retweeted a tweet. A Colt reporter put this up as a reminder last week not to take post-draft grades seriously. And he reposted a story, I think, from Bleacher Report where they basically called it one of the worst trade-ups in the history of the NFL. Because no, yes, because no off-ball linebacker from a Division One or FCS school had ever, you know, become a real player in the NFL, and they panned it. They said these Bowers no idea what he's doing, and the kid ends up winning Defensive Player of the Year or Defensive Rookie of the Year. Pardon me. Well, so it's why just, I agree with you. I don't like draft grades immediately no, after, and I don't like mock drafts are. to a certain degree as well. And I think you know I'm not going to go off on a whole tangent here, but I think it's important for fans to understand. There are, and this is not blame the media game, John, but there are outlets that are told from their higher-ups, this is the content we want you to put out. Well, by the way, do you know why? The fans click on it. Bingo. So you have known the blame but yourselves. Well, I wasn't going to go there, but you <laughs> said it, there. so I'll pile it it's on. It's true. And what happens fans is— Fans want hot takes. Correct. So you read them, and then you think it's exactly going to pan out just because somebody wrote it who happens to work for an outlet that is well-known, and you have faith and confidence. The same thing with a mock draft. You put trust in the individual who makes of the mock draft, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be accurate. And it's, and it's not the writer's fault. You know, they can't predict this 100%. They're not going to be able to tell the future. They do the best they can. 100%. And, you know, the, the other thing that's important to note, 
who goes back, I've said this year after year, I want to see the individual that goes back and looks at everybody's mock drafts and gives me the grades to see how accurate they were. Right. Because everybody puts faith in these mock drafts. Did you actually go back four or five days after to see how truly accurate it played out before you run away with, well, you know, they said Daniel Jones was going to go pick 35 and he should have never went pick six. Peter King said he had eight out of 32 this year and it was one of his best mock drafts ever. Eight out of 32? Yeah, 25%. And he said it was one of his best he's ever done. Well, I mean, that's not necessarily a high percentage last time I checked. No, but that, that, that's no, no, the point. No, no, I'm not criticizing right? him. I'm saying that's that the if point. Peter King is admitting that he only got 25% right, and he was proud of it, <laughs> what are we looking at mock drafts? David and Neptune is up next. David, what's going on? Hey, what's going on? It's Ralph and Neptune. Hey, Ralphie, what's up? Not much, man. I just got a point to make. Sure. I, I, I'm, I'm proud of you guys for this weekend, too. I know it was a long, a long overall for you guys. I appreciate that. Thank you, Ralph. Yeah, no problem. Eight, but it's, eight hours in here with uh, Paul Dottino <laughs> is, is not fun. Yeah. That's why they invented alcohol, by yeah. the way. <laughs> Grandpa's yeah, old Paul, cough medicine went to work this weekend. Yeah, Paul is my guy. You know. Oh, he's the best. I love well, him. that makes one of us, but that's okay. Go ahead. Oh, man. <laughs> My guy too, Lance. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. Listen, I wasn't looking for a compliment. I'm just happy that somebody's pulling for Detino. That's all. You know, he needs all the help he can get. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, but another thing, another guy I'm going to root for, and I know this is really unpopular, is Dave Gettleman. And um, I don't know how the Giants fans feel about Dave Gettleman, but I feel like he's doing a great job so far. And the reason why I feel that way, he's doing everything based off unpopular opinions. He's not listening to the media. He's blocking everything out. And to be honest, that's the true. kind of GM we need. I don't think we should have a GM that, you know, that come out and let this draft get affected by what everybody else is saying. That makes no sense to me. That's number one. Good point. Yeah, and um, hey, with these draft picks, I wanted to ask you guys, which one of these players are your favorite? Me personally, I like DeAndre Baker. I feel like he was for day one. No questions about it. I like his swag. I like everything he brings to the table as far as physical everything that he brings, but I'm not asking you guys, you know, like the position where he was picked at. I just want to know as a player, all these draft picks, which one is your favorite? I like Julian Love, Ralph, and, and, and I've kind of been a sucker for him the whole draft process. I had him in right in that, frankly, I'll be honest with you, I didn't have that much separating Julian Love and DeAndre Baker. Now, there they're, they're different types of players. You know, mm-hmm. Love is a guy that can go inside. I think he's a little more versatile than Baker is, but Baker's a better actual player cover corner. You know what I mean? I'm asking for one guy to just shut somebody down. I'm picking Baker, but Love can do a little bit of everything for you, which is why I love him. He's not, you know, this corner, we talked about it a lot, how there were different classes of corners, right? You guys, oh, this guy can play zone. This guy can play man. This guy maybe doesn't want to tackle. This guy's a press guy. This guy's an off guy. Love can do everything. And to get a player like that on your roster, that's what gets me excited. Yeah, I think Love's great value. I'm with you. I mean, I'd probably lean with Ralph, uh, with DeAndre Baker probably being my favorite. Uh, I think that was also a good value pick. I mean, I love the fact that his numbers are appealing and that he was a great cover corner, which you need in this day and age in football. You need to say, you know what? I've got faith. They line up their best guy. We line up our best guy. Let the best man win. And he's been exposed to that throughout his college career. And you're not throwing him now into a baptism by fire scenario where you're asking him to do something that he wasn't asked to do at Georgia. And by the way, I know someone said before that Lawrence was kind of a reach at 17 in terms of value. He was being put in that 15 to 22, 15 to 23 area on most mock drafts. So I wouldn't, you know, even just from the outside looking in, as much as those mock drafts are ridiculous, we just talked about it. 
it, just in terms of popular perception, he was right in that mix in that area of picks. Just just FYI. Well, and when we did our mock draft on Thursday, we, mentioned we talked about Lawrence and Wilkins yep. perhaps being in the conversation at 17. And Wilkins was gone. Burns was gone. And oh, I was sitting there, Lance. I was oh, one pick away from a potential to pick Brian Burns. I don't know if the Giants would have picked him or not. I don't. But almost yep, got right there. before. And remember we talked about it, if you weren't going to pick that pass rusher at six, there was a chance they were all going to be wiped out by the time you got to 17. What happened? They were all wiped out. Yeah. Burns was gone. Gary was gone. He went to the Packers. Farrell was gone. He went higher than everybody went very thought to the Raiders. Four. And Ed Oliver was gone. And Josh Allen was gone. So at 17, all the pass rushers got wiped out. That was a scenario we talked about as being very possible. Well, and remember... Let's go back to also Dave Gettleman's press conference. The one position that I kept emphasizing that he did not say was an overwhelming amount of depth was pass rusher slash defensive lineman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's why it also didn't surprise me. They grabbed Dexter Lawrence at 17, and it also didn't surprise me that there weren't a wealth of defensive linemen that they took throughout the course of the draft. And I know fans are going to get mad at me because Montez Sweat was on the board, and he absolutely was, so it wasn't completely wiped out. But I, again, I don't know how the Giants flagged his medical condition. So I can't say they should have taken Montez Sweat without knowing exactly how they felt about him medically because I don't know the answer to that question. So just keep that in mind. Yes, Montez Sweat was a good pass rusher. He was available. And a good pick for the Redskins. But Correct. once again, if you're not privy to the conversation of what their medical team advised the front office, the Redskins' front office could right. have a very different Correct. opinion and faith in Sweat versus the Giants. So, you know, that's the mystery before you make a decision. David like that. in North Carolina. What's up, Dave? Um, <clears throat> just wanted to kind of call in and, uh, you know, sometimes I, I think, not that I'm going to express it perfectly, but my reason of, of why I have such a problem with the Daniel Jones pick at six. Now, um, <laughs> Yes, Paulie would say, let's let's peel the onion a little bit here, if you guys will give me the time. So, Go ahead. Uh, go, going into the draft, or I'm sorry, way before the draft, I, I think it was pretty unanimous, or I shouldn't say unanimous, but it was a majority, hey, this, this QB class is not perfect. As a matter of fact, it could be average based on what we're seeing. And then as we get closer to the draft, like every year, the QBs get propped up a little bit more maybe than they should, et cetera, et cetera. But as we found out over the weekend, it, the teams kind of fell back in line with what the initial projections were, is that, hey, man, these guys got red flags. I mean, even Kyler Murray, you know, he's not a perfect prospect. But you saw these quarterbacks slide. And so what I have trouble with is I just really have trouble believing that Dave Gettleman had Daniel Jones – and a, a pass rusher like Josh Allen on the same line. Well, David, look, David, all, all I can tell you is that's what they told us they did. My understanding is that they did. If you think they're not telling the truth, that's up to you. Um, I'm not going to change your mind. All I can tell you is what the team has said, and that's what they've said. And, and, I, and I totally agree with that, but that right. is what the fans have problem with. It, it, it's, it's not that... You know, we can't stand Daniel Jones because this is an imperfect science. But when you look at Daniel Jones, the prospect, and I'm right down here in his backyard, and, I mean, you have to kind of believe in a lot of development, a lot of what-ifs, if, if his team was better, a lot of this. I don't like that in a top-ten pick. 
Now, granted, there's been top ten picks that bust every year. But when I'm looking at a top ten pick, I don't want to look and say, okay, well, maybe if he has this, maybe if he has that. Boy, he sure looks the part. I mean, listen, if it was a perfect science, Tom Brady would have been a would have been right, another overall pick. But there were Absolutely. things there that caused Tom Brady to fall because this imperfect science that we use for the draft, there's these checklists. And Tom Brady didn't meet those checklists. Joe Montana didn't meet those checklists. And God bless Daniel Jones. I hope he turns into another Eli man. No, David. But and you, David, you, I think. But when you look at it uh-huh. from a scouting perspective, there's no way. I mean, no way this guy is a top ten pick. Oh, see, see, David. See now, David. David. Traditional scouting that now, David. We've got to go off. This of. is fair. See now, you're being fair. You disagree with the pick because you disagree with the evaluation of the player. And if you disagree with the evaluation on the player, that's your opinion. That's your prerogative. That's fine. I get it. That's cool. So that's it. I mean, I think you're entitled to your opinion, and I get where you're coming from. The Giants obviously yeah, don't don't agree with that evaluation, and we'll find out who's right. And, and, I, and I obviously have no problem with them having a difference of opinion from a, a, a fan that Dave Gettleman knows more about football than, than I'll ever hope to know. But Same here. when it just seems like it lines up uh, significantly different than the rest of the league. Um, Peter King, hey, Broncos have uh, Locke as the number one guy. You're hearing some of the local ESPN Redskin reporters. Oh, yeah, David, 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 I David, mean, David. Hold on one second. Like, I, know, I know Gettleman is his own man, and, and Lord knows he's shown that. And, and like the last caller, there's a part of that I like. But when you're just – so far out in left field, that scares me. Well, David, hold, David, hold on a second. You just said it though. You want to give the Broncos credit for having Locke number one. How bad did they look? He lasted a hundred picks. He lasted, he lasted sixty picks in this draft before well, he got picked. Well, their number one quarterback doesn't necessarily mean he was number one on the board, but they had him as their top-rated quarterback. That's what I'm saying. Well, no, I understand so what you're saying, Giants but but how many quarterbacks got picked ahead of him? Three. Jones so high on the board, and, and if he was their number one quarterback, that's fine. But what I have trouble with. And what us fans have trouble with, if Jones was your number one guy, you know, hey, you guys are the professionals. It's really hard to swallow well, that David, he was a top ten value. Listen, on, on I, I, the get, I, just, I get, I get your disagreement, David. David, thank I, you, David. I get and, your and, disagreement the call. on the evaluation, and that's fine. And, and I get the fact that you're not a fan of the pick, but I, I'm not going to run with this narrative, John, that Peter King reported this, and Peter King reported that, and Redskins Nation reported that. First of all, you have to understand something. When the Broncos take Drew Locke where they did, do you really think John Elway and a member of the Broncos front office is going to go to a media member, John, and they're going to say, yeah, we took Drew Locke, but uh, Daniel Jones was uh, number one on our board. Or the Redskins with Haskins. Uh, Dwayne Haskins was who we took at 15, but Daniel Jones was number one on our board. Who in their right mind who just brings in a quarterback (laughs) prospect is going to now throw him in the dumpster and say, you know what? Yeah, we like you, but, you know, you are a second or third choice. And and the fact that it, this is the problem I have. When fans call up and use that, and I, I'm not shooting down what David said. He started off with his evaluation. That's fine, John. But when he started to go with the reporting, that's where I lose you. And, and I'm not going to give you any substance whatsoever with respect to those arguments because you have to think like a realistic person. There is no team from a PR standpoint that is going to throw the guy they just drafted under the bus to make another team look good or bad. They're just not going to do that. 
That's not how this industry plays out. So I don't care what Peter King, it's no disrespect to his reporting or anything else, but he is getting that info from a team that just drafted a quarterback that wants to look good because they just drafted that quarterback. And again, Jenny Ventura said that she thought that he would be gone by the time 17 came along. David Gettleman said he knows it. Jim Nagy said that he knew more teams with Jones ahead of Haskins and Haskins ahead of Jones. So there's really no way to know for sure. No one's going to get a look at all these boards. And nobody, and I'm certainly not telling you to believe that report and dismiss this report. I'm saying look at all reports, but at least think it through before you take it to the bank. Because at the end of the day, all of this is hypothetical. We're not ever going to live in a world where Daniel Jones doesn't go six and determine factually whether or not he would have been there at 17. There is is no earth two. Correct. Where that happens. There is no argument that anybody could sell me on that you can prove that that would have happened. It's all the coulda, woulda, shoulda hypothetical game. That's all it is. There's a range of outcomes, just like with player evaluations, and it could happen, it might not. Who knows? Marco in Connecticut is up next. I got two calls before we close and wrap. Marco, what's up? Yeah, guys. Awesome stuff all weekend, John. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you. Show. It's been incredible. Appreciate it. Um, this last caller really made me think a lot. That was a good call. Um, no, nah, David's a great I, caller. David's a good caller, man. I, I Here's the thing with the pick, uh, because I've been thinking a lot about this. And, Lance, to your point, it's not – right. you're not going to give it any substance. The issue here, and I think – and I think I, – I can't, like, figure out what the media stance is. I think the media, going back to last year, has a problem with, and there's so many people covering the NFL now, so many people, analytics, there's scouts, there's people that used to be in the NFL, former GMs, former players, and they're all on Twitter, and they all have a voice about positional value and everything. Yep. And last year, when the Giants take Barkley, and Gettleman has so much conviction about the pick, saying that he would have, he, he, we're not going to answer any phone calls, guys. We're going to make the pick. I would have made the pick in the first minute if the NFL let me. And the whole NFL community is saying, well, hang on a second. You're not taking any calls? Or you're, you're drafting a running back that high? And let me just tell you, I love Barkley, and I love Gettleman, and I love that he's got enough conviction to say, at number six, we got our guy, we got this quarterback, we're going to take him. Now, Marco, I, Marco, real quick, I will say this. It was a lot closer this year. You know, he used the word agonizing yeah. to pick Jones over Allen. So while last year, the reason the Giants didn't pick a quarterback in 2017 isn't that they didn't like the quarterback. 18, you mean. Yeah. In 2018, I'm sorry. It's because they had Barkley just graded so ridiculously high that they couldn't go down a whole level on their board or horizontal row, if you want to talk about it that way, to pick the next guy. Based on what Dave Gentleman said, Jones was on the same row as other defensive players but it's the importance of the position and the quarterback that tipped the scale in his favor. So, fair. That's fair. Now, I guess I'm thinking, though, and I'd love to get your guys' opinion on this. Last year, when they're drafting and they're thinking about, we're going to go in with Eli, we're going to give it another go, we're going to revamp the team, we're going to give Eli Saquon Barkley, right? Are they thinking, and by the way, this is kind of where we project the 2019 quarterbacks. And the reason I'm asking that is, when they're picking at number six and they're passing on a Josh Allen and they're, some people think maybe they're settling for Daniel Jones or they're going in for their guy, are they thinking like, hey, we're going to take Jones here because 2020 quarterbacks kind of shape up like this for us? Um, no. I, no, I, I don't think that all is no, a part see, of the see, conversation. I think, Marco, the point that Dave Gettleman made, I think it was in uh, his interview with Albert Breer in his column this morning, 
basically said, look, what happens if we're picking 18th or 19th or 20th next year? How the hell are we going to go get the guy we want to get anyway? You might not even have the chance to go get him. Because other teams could be interested. I mean, there's always yeah. the possibility to trade, but I'll take it a step further. And thanks for the call, Marco. we got to run. I'll take it a step further, right. John. Just call back, and I'll make sure I give you more time next time. How do you know what's going to happen with Tua this college season? Or Herbert. How do you know what's going to happen with Herbert this college season? You can't predict what happens if they get hurt. And what then all of a sudden, the prospects are not as high. Herbert was very inconsistent this year. What if he's bad? What so, if he has a bad year? You know, this whole rolling of the dice and saying that, well, we're right now thinking that the 2020 quarterbacks are projecting better. Just like I don't think the conversation with Barkley was even, well, who's going to be coming out in 2019 at the quarterback position? No, it wasn't. It was Barkley's the best guy. It was guy. just we're evaluate thinking. this class, period. Who's the best guy? And leave it at that. Final caller, Will in Houston will wrap us up. Will, we're a little over. You got about 60 seconds, man. All right, cool. Yeah, I was going to talk about the corners before, but now everyone's talking about the quarterbacks in the media, so I'm actually going to stick with that. Whatever you want, so Will. One of the things, yeah, so one, one, one of the things that I think is important to understand is that there's always going to be a disconnect between where the media has someone graded and scouted and where the GMs in the front office actually has someone scouted. 100%. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. And just just because, again, and, and the last caller, and actually the past few callers had, had mentioned us, we're in this era where there's so many outlets and people that are telling us what they think and it becomes what we think and and everyone has this consensus on hey here's the quarterbacks and this guy should be hey here. will this guy should be will here. will real fast then, you know and, what it is yeah. it is an echo chamber so one person yeah. says it and then it just gets echoed back and forth by a bunch of other people that that's exactly what happens you're 100 right yeah yeah absolutely and and then once that pick doesn't happen then everyone's clamoring saying oh well this is what we had and of course the media is not going to say well we were wrong they must be right and then I, I actually think that I was I was going to talk about the corners, but this is this is this is one of the things that almost kind of pairs with that. One of the more consensus number one corners in this draft was Rudy Williams. How many corners went ahead of him in this draft? Seven. So seven. You know what I mean? So it's like that. It's it's like these guys are per, are trying to project and predict what they think, and then what the front offices think may be completely different depending on scheme fit, personality, Bingo. culture how they're going to be, you know, with, within that specific team. And I just think that it's hard for, you know, fans to kind of understand that sometimes just because they're always getting this information 24-7 from one or two people or one or two uh, news outlets. Well, and, uh, yeah, I won't take any more of your time. I yeah, appreciate thank you. Taking my call. Uh, well said. Yeah, I just want to add to that. These teams get so much more information and exposure to these kids than we do or anyone else in the media does. You know, Daniel Jeremiah is an ex-scout. He knows what he's doing. He's good at what he does. He knows how to evaluate prospects. He did it for a living. He was trained by the best. He was at a really good front office in Baltimore that was one of the best drafting teams in the league when he was there. Does he get to spend the whole day with these kids on a team visit in the facility? Nope. Does he get a 15-minute sit alone at a combine to, to do a wonder look test with these kids? Is he, is he at the medical evaluations for them? They're not, none, of, none of us are. We do the best we can with the information available to us. The teams have so much more information and exposure to these kids to make these decisions. Heck, if you just go off the film, maybe the Giants think just off the film, Haskins, maybe he's better than Daniel Jones, just off the film. But maybe there's other aspects that makes them change their mind. I don't know. I don't know that. I have no idea. Nobody does. That's the point. There's a lot. And Dave Gettleman made this point when they made the pick on, on Thursday. And that's the last thing I say before we wrap up, and I'll let you give your take on it, that it was as much as his play on the field was important, and he said he loved his play on tape and everything about him before he got to meet the kid and all that other stuff. But it's all that stuff, handling New York, being steady, being tough like you mentioned, 
all those things come in addition to what you saw on tape. And that's the stuff that they have exposure to that we don't. And that can oftentimes sway teams in terms of where they want to go in the draft. Yeah, I agree with you. I think those conversations that happen behind closed doors, which is the best way to sum it up, nobody who does a mock draft has that information. I don't care whether you had a source tell you what went on in that room. If you weren't in that room, you didn't experience it, then it's hard for you to truly say what the X factor was that pushed them over. But the more and more I listen to what some of Duke's coaches have to say, the more and more I hear more stories about Daniel Jones and this toughness angle and the adversity angle, being a walk-on, overcoming obstacles, playing through injuries, I'm not surprised based on the decision-making that influenced the Giants with previous quarterbacks, John, that Daniel Jones appealed to them. And I'm not saying that Dwayne Haskins didn't have any of that, but they may have not gotten that out of the conversations they had with members of the Ohio State coaching staff talking with Haskins and people that are around him as much as they got out of those conversations with Jones and people that are related to him. Who knows? I don't know. And remember, there was, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's say goodbye for Lance Meadow. I'm John Schmelk. Big Blue Kickoff Live tomorrow. We'll be back with another edition, taking more of your calls on, on the draft, and we'll try to start getting on some guests as well to give us some extra insight on these draft picks as well. For Lance, I'm Schmelk. We'll see you tomorrow. Adios. Adios.